Welcome in to this week's edition of Broadcaster Hour. I'm Roger Hoover with you from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We go to the far side of the screen. Kyle Crooks joins us from Gainesville, Florida. And in the center of the screen, the place I was for the last few months, Greenville, South Carolina, we say hello to Roy Philpot of ESPN. How's it going, Roy? Gentlemen, great to be with you. Doing well. Ready for college football. Ready for some kind of sporting event right about now, man. It's been too long, you know? <laughs> So what have the last few months been like of will it or won't it happen in terms of college football as broadcasters? It's been an anxious last like six months since we've been in quarantine. It has. And that's a great question. And I think for many of us, I mean, even outside of the broadcasting nerd world, um, it's been tough because we just don't know what to expect. I mean, for me personally, uh, it's been a roller coaster. You know, if you go back a month ago, when two Power Five leagues canceled their fall seasons, it, it really felt like everything was in doubt. And we're not going to have any college football whatsoever. If you go back two months ago, well, some of the COVID-19 numbers are a little better. You're thinking, okay, we can make a run at this. And before that, you know, it was up and down. So, I mean, honestly, I think it's okay to not be okay, as a lot of people say, uh, with what's happened in the last half year. And that's an important message to get out because uh, it's been tough and it's been unparalleled. So, um, you know, it's it's been difficult, but here we are. We're knocking on the front door. I, I think we're going to play some fall sports. I, I think we're going to play college football and basketball this year. Uh, not everybody's going to play, but we're, we're getting there. And so right now, uh, gentlemen, I'm pretty optimistic. I, I think we can do some things, and I, I think it's about ready to start up. What's the plan on how this season is going to go? I know certain crews are going to be on site uh, i think i saw ben holden who does uh, army for cbs sports network he said he was going to be on site to call the game some are some aren't um is it going to be remote for now and then kind of wait and see come late october november as if you can go to the sites yeah uh you know the answer to that is i, I don't know i mean i i think uh, there's a really good chance the majority of the games that i do are going to be done remotely um there's also going to be a chance that i'm going to be on site for a handful of games but I think it's just like everything else. It literally, guys, everything is a week-to-week basis. And what, what, you know, what's trending, what direction, what's happening in a certain state, in a certain locale, and, and just based off of all that information, literally everything as we know it, especially as broadcasters, can change. And so, you know, I, I was told by a coach in the SEC back in the middle of the summer, you, you just need to examine this thing in three-week intervals. And just know that over the course of those three weeks, looking ahead to the next three weeks, everything as we know it can change. And you just have to get comfortable with that. So once you embrace that notion, I think it enables you to kind of to kind of get a feel for how you need to adjust your mindset. That's a big deal for us right now because, um, you know, I, I don't know what to expect. So honestly, my, my first game, I think, could be on site somewhere. And, and I think uh, – handful of games right after that could be done from right here from where i'm talking to you guys or or maybe from a remote studio i've I've been told that everything is possible this fall so a lot of uncertainties when trying to get ready for this season uh in the course of a normal year you have already this would be the first week of the season we would have had week zero the week before but you would have known about your first two or three matchups uh to get going so how did you typically use august would you travel to some different schools around uh, the whether it's the sec the acc some places that were pretty manageable to go see some fall camp did you always love that process I, I did, yes, and, and you guys know I, I live right next door to Clemson. I, I've been there, you know, most off seasons, just checking things out, and really it's just to get out there, smell the grass, hear the pads pop, and just kind of get a feel for you know football all over again. 
uh, haven't done that this year, obviously, with everything that's going on and, and trying to be safe, both from their perspective, my perspective. But, yeah, you know, usually at this point, Roger, um, I've got a game or two already maybe under my belt. Um, I've got a game or two already that I know I'm getting ready to call. And uh, the, the prep work has been fast and furious for probably about 30 days, just reading everything I can, trying to understand everything I can, uh, dot I's, cross T's, you know, make, make sure that, you know, my off-season workout regimen it, it is kind of ramping up and I'm ramping my energy up for this time of year because I think it's very important. And, uh, and, and just kind of go from there. But, you know, right now, uh, it, it's not that at all. It, and so, again, that's part of the, the challenge of it is just trying to, to maintain sanity, knowing, okay, you know, your, your work's coming. It's, it's going to happen. But, um, you know, I don't have three games in the future like I normally would and, and kind of have a roadmap for what I'm going to be doing. But, yeah, August is always a big prep month. Get ready for everything and, and just make sure that, that technically, uh, you know, I've got everything I need from utensils to paper to spotting boards to just whatever. And, and so that I'm not worried about those kinds of things for nine months. And then it's just I'm drinking from a fire hose trying to absorb as much college football intel as I can. So really no roadmap to see what this season's going to look like for you with ESPN or Kyle and I and the work we do for Alabama and Florida. And there's also been no real roadmap for your career, especially when we look at some of the other paths that other people have had. Just what can you tell us about how you got your start in this business? And, you know, even in your early days going to college at Clemson, was this something that was even on your radar? No, it wasn't. And and I, I take a little bit, I take a lot of pride in that because my path has not been conventional and, uh, you know, I, I know other broadcasters that have used, you know, some of the things that I've told them that did start in the business and, and now they've advanced uh, really far and doing a great job. So, I mean, the, the story is I graduated uh, from Clemson uh, about 20 years ago with a degree in computer engineering. I had a bachelor of science and a, and a minor in mathematical sciences and, and never really did I think that I was going to enter broadcasting or media at all until I got into corporate America and I worked for a couple of fortune 500 companies for about two years and, and it just wasn't for me. And I knew it wasn't for me and being a computer dork wasn't for me. And so I just really sat down one day and I said, what am I passionate about? What do I love to do? Who am I? And it was literally just looking in the mirror and talking to myself. And I was like, you know, I, I love sports and I, I've always loved sports. And so I, I kind of used that, with my background in computers and I started a website that at the time covered Clemson and I started another website that covered the Dallas Cowboys because I was living in Texas in Dallas right next door to their headquarters and I entered the media business that way and so um, you know for like a year or two nobody read my websites nobody cared what I said or what I did and, and then it kind of started to take hold and from there um, it grew uh, I became part of Fox Sports and, and their series of team websites and uh and then probably about 15 years ago i got an invitation to start doing some radio and from radio i got an invitation to do some tv a couple of years later and, and then when i when i sat down and i called my first game ever i'll never forget it it was um it was a volleyball match at uh at clemson and it was on the old acc select channel and they, the, the the guy that hired me was like hey you're good on radio see 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 how this works and I remember I walked into the arena, there's about a thousand fans there, and I was just like, oh, oh crap, I've been doing it wrong the whole time. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I knew it. And I, I, I feel that now, re, re, you know, kind of remembering that story of just how it took hold of me 
And so from that point on, starting around 2009, 2010, I was just, everything I did was tailored around trying to become a play-by-play person. And I, I just, you know, I ate it, slept it, lived it, breathed it. Any opportunity I could get, I took it. But uh, yeah, it was a different path. And it was one, you know, if I could go back and do over again, I don't know that I would change it because I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It just, I went, I took kind of a roundabout way to get there and to figure it out. And I, I tell young people all the time, man, you're in college and you don't know what you want to do when you get out. That's okay. You know, because for a lot of us, we, we don't figure it out until we're several years out of college. And for the most part, you know, that's okay. And, and I would argue a lot of times that's how it's supposed to be done. Get some experience, figure some things out, figure yourself out and then try to proceed there. So when you leave, corporate america uh is there a moment where you say to yourself financially like oh no i'm going into this unknown of starting this website starting this new career when you start in broadcasting everybody would tell you you're not making a lot of money um and you leave kind of a a sure thing i would say maybe financially to an unsure thing what's the anxiety like when you make that career switch from a financial lifestyle kind of point of view two words holy shit (laughs) <laughs> That's what it's like. And I, I'll never forget, I was living in Texas. I was prepared to move back to Atlanta um, to be closer to home. And I, I had a decision to make. I, I'm working for PricewaterhouseCoopers. I've got a good job. And do I kind of try to build from that in Atlanta or do I just take the plunge and say, man, you've got to get into this full speed. And I, I just looked at it and I said, OK, what do I need to do? First thing was I sold my car, I had a, a high car payment, and my mom sold me her Dodge Avenger for, I think, $100. So I got rid of my car payment. I got a one-bedroom apartment in Atlanta. It, the rent was pretty affordable, but I basically cut down all of my expenses. And I mean, I, I was living you know, paycheck to paycheck, and it, it, it wasn't a lot of money. It, and it was, it was not easy. And had I already started a family, if I was married, I don't think I would have been able to do that. So the timing of it hit pretty well, um, where I could financially find a way to manipulate the system and make it work. Uh, I was broke for a couple of years, but I was happy. And I was a lot happier doing that than pushing pencils all day in a cubicle. I'm of the belief that that we aren't meant to sit in cubes all day and listen to upper management give us five different instructions on how to fill out a form. You know, I, I just I don't think that's what human beings are designed to do. And so I, I literally thought about that every single day. And I, and and I was happy. I was happier. So I knew I made the right decision, but it was a plunge. It was a scary plunge. And to be like 25, 26 and say, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, and, and, and a lot of people didn't think I was going to be able to pull it off. You know, my, my parents were like, what, what are you doing? What you're going to do? What you're going to start a website? How are you going to make money? What are you doing with your degree? There was a lot of pushback from everybody. Um, and, and so and that's always been a big, big motivator for me as well. I, I love to hear it. You can't do it or there's no way you're going to pull this off. Uh, hell, yeah, I can. And watch me do it. And the fact that you you built that website, and you were building a foundation of the, the skill of writing. And that's yeah. something we don't talk a lot about as broadcasters. I think that's the foundation. If you're a good writer, you're a good speaker. If you're a good speaker, you're a good broadcaster. How much did that help you make that transition to the electronic side of broadcasting, the, the amount of writing that you were doing with that website? 
You know, I, I'm not going to give you a normal answer there because everybody in my position says, well, if you can be a good writer, you can be a good broadcaster. That's the foundation of it. Uh, uh, okay. And, and I'm sure that works for a lot of people. That That's not what worked for me. I figured out when, as a writer and, and covering those two programs, Clemson and mainly Clemson football and basketball and the Dallas Cowboys, you know, what people were interested in, what got them excited, and, and to a certain extent, how to sell them. And, and it's not like, you know, we were, we're making up stories or doing things like that, but I, I found A, what I was passionate about, but B, what other fans were passionate about and what they wanted to listen to, what they wanted to read about. I, I think that's a big part of the whole broadcasting thing because it's so easy to just be a robot. You go in there as a play-by-play person and you call your game. This guy scored five points. They're on a seven-nothing run. I, I, I don't think that for the I mean, you got to document the game. Don't get me wrong. That's the foundation of it. But you, you also need to tell the stories and you need to do so in an enthusiastic way and in a non-narrative way. So during that time when I first started to write, I, I would write articles and these, these huge interviews like, oh, man, this is great. And, and, and nobody cared. And then all of a sudden you start, you know, inter- you, you, you interview people, you write articles, you, you throw in your opinion. It's not a bad opinion. It's a knowledgeable opinion. You kind of start to become an expert on what you're writing about. And, and then all of a sudden people value what you say that much more. So I think I learned to sell. I think I learned what fans and people want to hear, what they want to read, and when's the right time to, let's say, be a little more critical, or when's the right time to say, hey, you know, back off the Twitter button for a second and, and realize that things are okay here, things are moving in the right direction, and, and just give it a little bit of time. And so, you know, those aspects to what we do, uh, I, I think are vital. I, you know, the last thing I want to do is go in and narrate a game. The last thing I want to do is go in and be a play-by-play robot and sound like every other play-by-play person out there. That's not what I want to do. I want to show who I am. I want to show what I know. I want to entertain you a little bit. I want to document the game first and foremost, of course, but you know, I, I don't want to sound like everybody else. I don't want to be like everybody else. And I think that individuality is important, especially you know, in this day and age when a, a lot of dudes sound alike and a lot of girls sound alike. We, it's important not to sound like everybody else. I think in 2020. So going back to 2009, 2010, you're bitten by the play-by-play bug and you knew you wanted to do this. You said you really learned as much as you could. Who were some broadcasters that you really leaned on and tried to pick their brain from and get critiques about your own work from? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, the the first person I remember calling is is now the current voice at Clemson, Don Munson. And I just said, he, you know, he was doing things there at the time. Uh, Pete Yannity was the play-by-play voice. I, I talked with him a little bit, but I remember talking with Don, and, and he just kind of said, hey, there, there's some people you probably need to get to know if you're serious about this, but the main thing you need to do is, is make sure that you know, you're know you not turning down any offers, any gigs. It doesn't matter what the sport is. It doesn't matter you know who it's for, whether or not you even get paid. Uh, you need to get as many reps as possible. And so um, you know, I, I leaned on him a, a, a little bit just for an initial start, and he introduced me to some people at Learfield, um, and which was which was pretty instrumental in kind of getting my foot in the door a little bit more uh, to call uh, some women's basketball and eventually some baseball. So, I mean, I would say those two just kind of right there in my backyard were always very willing to answer any question I had. And I know that both of them went to bat for me a couple of times uh, at Clemson and, and with Learfield. So, um, you know, it kind of started there. And, and then from then, 
you know, I, I, I never really reached out to people in the business. Like you, you guys are ahead of the curve and a lot of people are in just building relationships with people that have been in it for a good amount of time. I, I really think that's important. I, I didn't go down that road. I basically just put my nose down and called every single game I could. And I had a high school football package locally here that, that kind of um, wet my appetite a little bit more. And then I did a lot of ESPN3 stuff. And I, I, I really look back to that time and, and think, well, that's kind of when you crafted who you were going to become. And I mean, almost to the point, I, I, I would listen to other people, probably more on radio, like John Shiambi calling baseball. Um, but on TV, you know, I, I, I really tried not to pattern myself after anybody. And I was a little scared to just focus in and say, OK, you, you want to sound like Sean McDonough or you want to sound like Brad Nessler or somebody else. I think that's dangerous, and I think people can figure you out pretty quickly if you try to emulate those people. They are who they are, and they're great. We all know that. But I think it's very important to be yourself and kind of develop your own tendencies and, and things like that. So things were certainly starting to go well for you at Clemson, but how did you start networking to the point where you could call some ESPN3 games and kind of get in the ESPN depth chart and be one of their guys? Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if there was a direct path to do that, you know, I, I, I could make a lot of money, but everybody. Yeah, I'd buy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I the first game uh, I became really uh, had good relationships at Clemson and, and their director of video services, Rick Bagby, uh, is just a, a, a super person and a super human being. He gave me opportunities. And, and guys, really, all I did is after doing probably four or five ESPN three games kind of in-house for Clemson. I, I sent a link to uh, somebody at ESPN and, and the email basically went like this, uh, you know, this is my work. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about it. I feel pretty good about it. Um, you know, if you like it, that's great. You know, let me know if not, um, you know, I know you get 5 millions of these emails every single year. Uh, I get it, but you know, I would really, really like to do some work. And uh, I think I probably sent two of those over the course of, of maybe um, a month or two to, to different individuals. And, uh, and, and then finally, I'll never forget this. I, I was literally in the shower and um, I, I, got a, I, I looked at my phone when I was stepping out and I had a missed call from a number and then I had a voicemail from that number and I checked it and it was the, the guy that ended up hiring me from ESPN. And uh, he, he was like, hey, you know, give me a call back. And so it was Chris Farrell. Um, who is uh, a, a very has a very sharp eye for talent and uh, is a, has been great to me over the years. And I called him up and, and he goes, "Hey, uh, you know, I looked at your reel and he's like, you know, not not bad, not bad." Um, he goes, "You know, I, I can't meet with you right now. This was in November." He goes, "But you know, get back with me maybe after basketball season and and we'll see if we can set up a meeting or something." And I'm just sitting there like I, I I'm shaking and I have goosebumps remembering the story right now. I'm like, oh, uh, you know, God, ESPN's called me back. Um, and so I'm just listening, like, okay, hey, that's great. I, I'm here. And, and so he goes, okay. So we talked literally for 60 seconds. And I hung up the phone. I'm like, oh, I was like, wow. I was like, that kind of felt like something. But I was like, I can't do anything until April. And so we, we sat there. I just sat there for a little while and, um, and, and just slept on it. And, and I didn't hear back until like three weeks later. And I got an email uh, out of the blue from him. And he's like, hey, can you do these two games on uh, ESPNU? And it was a Duke Carolina women's basketball game and uh, another women's basketball game, NC State and, and Carolina, I think. And I, I just looked at the email and I was like, holy crap, that, uh, 
that's it. Like I just, I just got the break. I, you know, here, here we go. And, and so that's really what I did. That, that, that's not common. Um, you know, I, I think timing is very important when you're, you know, you're talking to uh, potential future bosses and trying to cement demo reels and those kinds of things. And I think I got fortunate with timing and, and there was an opening and a spot and um, I didn't suck. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of worked out. So that that's how that happened. I love telling that story. I love telling that story because I want other people to feel just for a second what that is like when that occurs and let that serve as motivation for whomever needs it because you damn yes it can happen and it, it happens every single year i'm not saying it happens a bunch but when it does it is spectacular and, and so uh it, it, it's fun for me to tell that story because it, it, it kind of re-motivates and reinvigorates me all over again because it, it's still surreal and that, that now happened almost seven years ago and when you you kicked the door in at ESPN, was was there a moment when you finally got a package or got more work where you realized, okay, now I'm firmly entrenched in this, and I'm I'm truly part of their talent roster? Yeah, I had to. Uh, uh, shortly thereafter, I kind of had to make a decision because I was doing pre and post game football at Clemson, high school football packages in the fall, and um, those first two games ended up with like maybe nine or 10 games before the end of basketball season. So entering that off season, I did my very best just to network as much as I could let people know that, um, you know, I'm not psycho. I'm not going to hound you every week for games. Um, you know, I'm excited to be here. I'm enthusiastic. I'm ready to do whatever you guys want me to do. And, and so, uh, the next year, I think maybe I did, you know, maybe like 19 basketball games. And it was after that, uh, I was like, okay, I, I need to put all of my eggs in this basket. So kind of like what I did when I went from corporate America to just as a writer and a website developer uh, in building those websites, I just put all my eggs in that basket. And, and I told, I told my bosses, I was like, um, you know, I, I'm removing myself from commitments that I'm doing otherwise broadcasting, and I want to make myself fully available. Well. You know, the good news is, is I'm available. The bad news is, you know, people hear that and they have so many other things going on. It's not like they just say, here's your package. And, and now we're going to give you 85 games a year. They, they don't do that. So uh, I had to get everything in order on my side, present myself that I'm ready to do whatever you guys want. Uh, I'm not going to reject any assignments. I don't care if it's Christmas Day or Thanksgiving. I'm going to be there and I'm going to do it. And about a year after that, um, uh, I started getting some football, which is, you know, there's not a lot of football packages out there and uh, started getting a lot more basketball. And then I, I'll, I'll never forget, I, I had an, an open date over Thanksgiving weekend for football. And um, uh, I got a phone call during halftime of one of the games we were at, uh, me and my wife. And it, it, it was ESPN. And they said, hey, um, you know, just want to let you know we're going to make you full time. And uh, we, we, we were we were out and uh, we were at a, a local drinking establishment and it was probably like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I, and, and I got the call and I, I, I just sat there and I was like, I, I just I, I put my arms in the air. I screamed out loud. I literally out loud. And I was like, holy shit, I just did this. Like I just became full time at ESPN and it was uh, it's it's every bit as good as you think it is every bit as good if not better and I went back and I told my wife um, uh, and, and I mean I, you know it 
it was as emotional and as fantastic as ever. So, yeah, I mean, it, it didn't happen overnight. It's like once I got in, the, the workload and the level of responsibility to build relationships, network, not suck, get better, be low maintenance goes up 50-fold. Um, but then to, to, to finally get over that hurdle, and I want to say that was in 2015, that November, and I went full-time this January 1, 2016, uh, was, a, was a huge deal. And uh, it was it, it's probably one of the, the top, certainly the top professional moment uh, that I've had. Let's take a step back in your career and let's go to the radio hosting aspect of your yeah. career, doing a show. And, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, so I grew up listening to New York City radio and it's it's Yahoo. There's a lot of Yahoo's. And and you I mean, you you did a, a show right in the heart of ACC country. So uh, what was that like dealing with the fans on a daily basis? And I guess a two prong question. What kind of skills transfer over from that format to what you do now in play by play? So what we talked about earlier with writing, I, I think it, it, it's even more so with being able to host your own show. And so I was three hours every day from 12 until three. And uh, it, it was me and a producer who, who kind of was like a co-host. Uh, we just bounced stuff off each other. But I mean, you know, the, the, the name of the show, it, it, it was my name on it. And, and there were times when, you know, you, you go in there and you're going to do the heavy lifting for all three hours. And so... Um, you know, the, the first radio show I ever did, uh, I'll never forget, I filled in for a guy at that station. This is probably 15 years ago. And I'm like, man, I'm coming in here, guns blazing, I'm prepared. I, I, I literally had like eight sheets of paper with all of these <laughs> topics. This is what we're going to do. By the time I get to the end of the second topic, the phone lines are going to be ringing off the hook, man. Here we go. I can't wait. And I'll never forget this. I'm sitting there in the first segment. I'm, I'm probably seven minutes into the show, and I've got another 13 minutes to fill in the segment. And I've already gone through everything <laughs> on all eight sheets of paper, and not a damn person called. Nobody. <laughs> and I, 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 I can take myself back to that moment right now. A little bead of sweat forms and starts coming down my forehead. <laughs> because it, you, when you're sitting there and you're like, I've got this, and you don't have it, and you're out of topics five and a half minutes into your show – you really find out what you're made of. So I probably learned more doing that and going through those trials and tribulations and figuring out what got people engaged and what they wanted to hear and what was a good topic, what was a boring topic. And I don't know that anybody ever truly figures all of that out, but that was so valuable because what that enabled me to do is I can walk into any broadcasting situation and I feel fairly comfortable because I did a three-hour show every single weekday for I was almost five years. And, and so, you know, there were times when our phone lines didn't work. There were times when it was literally just me because there was an intern as a producer. There were times where there was four of us in studio. There were times where we had coaches in studio, players in studio. We were on location, uh, you know, all these different things. And, and so parlay that into what I do now. Well, there's times when we have an equipment malfunction and my analyst can't talk for two segments for whatever reason. Or, you know, th there's other things that happen to where, you know, you just have to, to be able to talk more in a blowout and kind of try to keep things as interesting as possible. If you can host a three-hour sports talk show for more than a year, not get fired, and be semi-compelling and not boring, I, I think you can pretty much do anything in broadcasting because it, it, it is a challenge. And, and so the skill that you learn there is not so much to BS people, but to just be able to, to talk to yourself in a way 
that's not boring and somewhat entertaining. And, and you kind of loop in your own personal life into what's going on, and you loop in funny things that happen around you and those kinds of things. And, you know, it's okay to do that when you're calling a game from time to time, too. So uh, that, that those were very valuable years. And, I, I, you know, you could also say if you're doing minor league baseball and you're doing that for a couple of years and it's just you – you, know, you probably learned something similar to what I did too. So I, I think there's there's equal value in doing any of that. But but the bottom line is getting a bunch of reps. It's very difficult to go, hey, graduate from college and then jump into a full time play by play gig, um, and, and you haven't done a bunch of reps just because you know you that's the only way you can learn it. You can't really get better doing what we do, you know, reading about it or you know just pretending to do it. You actually have to do it. So. Uh, doing a three-hour sports talk show in, in a market like Clemson and, and the, the ups and downs of that program at the time, it was uh, extremely valuable. So you get the full-time offer from ESPN, and now you're calling a lot of games, and you're building up all those reps. Like you mentioned, you have to do this by getting all the reps. Uh, kind of in what ways did you improve during that time, and uh, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned about TV play-by-play in those years? Yeah, uh, you know, when I first started, it was probably like silly things, um, like calling high school football initially. Ball gets thrown out in, in, in the flats, and you know, I'm trying to figure out who number 21 is. And so, like a lot of times, I would say, "Well, he's out in the flats over there," and like I would say, "Over there," to buy me an extra second to be able to find out what number he was and, and be able to, to say his name. So, like early before ESPN, there was a bunch of that. To where, okay, don't repeat the same crap over and over, you know, which is easy to do when you first get started. Don't be a robot, which is just call every single play and, and pass it off to the analyst, and it creates this weird rhythm sometimes it gets boring. You know, you, you learn that, I think, early. And then at ESPN, it's okay. It's okay to, to shut up more. And, uh, you know, other people that have been in the business longer don't necessarily do that, and that's okay. But I think to get started, you don't have you have to realize you don't have to be a loudmouth, and on television you have to realize you don't have to call every single thing that happens, and occasionally it's okay to tell a story, or to not say anything at all in the course of a, of a given play, no matter what the sport is. So, I think all those things come with being comfortable. So to answer your question, starting at ESPN for me it was about all right, just just be comfortable. You obviously sound the way that they want you to sound, or they wouldn't have hired you. Be enthusiastic, be high energy, and, and then, you know, be easy to work with. I think that's the other thing is there's so many people that want to jump into these jobs, and, and, and sometimes that maybe they're a little bit too eager, and sometimes you're pressing too many buttons. And, you know, sometimes people come in and they're setting their ways. I don't think this is a good business for that. I think you have to come in with a clean slate, an open mind, be easy to work with, uh, you know, be comfortable on camera, uh, look good on camera. And nobody likes to talk about that, you know, but it, it, it's important. You know, we're not doing radio, so your appearance, whether we like it or not, matters. Um, so, you know, I, I worked on kind of my style and, you know, how I wanted to, to look and feel on camera a lot. And that was something that was very important. But, you know, the, the main thing, easy to work with, be comfortable, have fun, high energy, and, uh, you know, let, let the dust settle and see what games you get. And was a lot of that just by self-critique, or what's the feedback system like? Were you hearing a lot from the producers that worked with your games or the coordinating producers for the different sports? Kind of how do you feel a lot of that out? Yeah, um, I, I think for everybody that's different. For me personally, uh, you know, I, I got feedback generally when, you know, I did something wrong, um, which, you know, 
happens almost by default, even if you don't mean it to happen. Things just come across awkwardly or or maybe sound weird. So, yeah, I mean, I I would get emails or, you know, get a phone call. Hey, what do you think about this? And and, and I would listen. And and I would say that that's a pretty important piece of all of this is if somebody at your work is willing to take the time to suggest something positive or negative, something critical or, you know, um, even something that makes you cringe or whatever, it, that's pretty important. And so your response to that um, probably dictates a lot in the future on whether or not they want to use you. So, um, you know, I, I remember when I first started doing high school football, the, the GM of the local station would, would just send me these emails after every game for probably the first two years. And, and they would just, it would be a novel of stuff that, that I did wrong. And, and, you know, the first couple of times I would respond back, well, this is what I was doing here. This is what I was doing there. And, and then I, I kind of realized, no, that's probably not what you need to be doing. And, and so handling criticism and feedback, especially from the people that dish out the assignments that have been pros in this for longer than, than I've been alive in some situations, uh, being able to handle that uh, objectively and with warmth uh, is not necessarily an easy thing to, to understand and, and to begin to do. I, I would tell you it's pretty important. And I would say be receptive to those things because it's not only going to make you better, but it also also shows that you're not a know-it-all. And in this, in our business, nobody knows it all. So it's it's okay. It's okay to get critical feedback. It's okay to make adjustments and realize that you know you, you don't have all the answers uh, to all of our broadcasting issues or problems. Um, you just kind of have to roll the punches. So that, that, that's certainly something I think that matters is to be able to handle criticism in a positive way and, and know that, uh, Hey, at the end of the day, they're just trying to get you better. And at the end of the day, I, I just want to be better. I want to get better. So, um, you know, that, that, that's something probably unwritten in a lot of manuals that, uh, is worth repeating is to be able to deal and understand, deal with and understand feedback, especially from your superiors. And it's one thing to get that criticism and feedback from your bosses. And now we enter the wasteland of social media. I mean, (laughs) you do college football, college basketball at high levels. So with that, you're going to have fans of fan bases saying that you're rooting for this team. You're rooting for this team. And usually when you have both fan bases coming at you, that means you're doing a good job because you're right down (laughs) the middle. How do you handle that social media nonsense? And a lot of it is nonsense, but I'm sure it gets it kind of bothers people. Does it bother you at all? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it does. I, I'm not immune to that. And if anybody says that they are, give me some of their DNA because I, I just, I, I don't have it. I, I think if we're all honest with, with ourselves, you know, we, we all want to hear positive things. Um, I, I do just try to take it, uh, for what it's worth. I mean, I, I, I've gotten a lot of positive commentary, uh, on social media over the years. And when I get a negative comment, you know, I, I try to remember the good that, that, that also comes in, but you know, sometimes, um, you know, you read it and, and sometimes some of it's valid, you know, were, were we talking too much about this team and this particular player when they were getting their brains in? Okay. Well, could we have done something differently? So I, I do try to look at it like that. Um, I've probably gotten better about not looking at, at commentary during games. I, I think that's treacherous waters if you do that. And, and like you said, you know, in some of the bigger games I do, I, I, I won't do it because I know no matter what, People are going to love you and hate you at the same time. And so you have to embrace that and, and realize that, you know, Jesus himself could be calling games and people would have something negative to say. That That's just the nature and subjectivity of broadcasting. So, uh, you know, you, you have to take it in stride. 
and do your very best to try to compartmentalize it and, and understand that no matter what happens, uh, there's going to be somebody out there that has something negative to say. At the end of the day, I'm doing what I love to do. I'm getting paid to do it. And I, I try my very best. And most of the time I'm successful to not let those things steal my joy. Don't let it steal your joy. This is what we love to do. Go out there and do it. If people don't like it, uh, there's nothing you can do to make them really like it anymore. It's a subjective business. So uh, roll with the punches and, and just go to the next play. You mentioned being on camera, and it's one thing. You have to look good, right? But also sound good in those on-camera opens. It's one thing that I dread. Uh, Roger loves doing them. I sometimes <laughs> I just I think too much about it to the point where it's sometimes it becomes paralyzing. And it's two minutes. It's two minutes, and it's fairly simple. What are the keys of having a good on-air stand-up with your analyst? Boy, man, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um. I'll tell you my trick, and this will certainly not apply for most people. Um, I, I, I'm pretty confident overall in my abilities and, and kind of what I look like, how, you know, what I do. I'm a fairly confident person. So I've had opens before where I've like, oh, I felt clunky or it felt awkward. And God, I wish that was better. And it's never as bad as you think. And, and unfortunately, it's never as good as you think either. I've had opens where I was like, oh, my God. You know, we're going to win a major award, sign me up, send this one to the president of the company. We're going to take over the planet, and, and it's nowhere near that good. So there's good and bad with that. But for me, I'm always best if I have a chip on my shoulder. And what I mean by that, it's it's like this, this moment of, I don't want to say self-doubt, but it's like this moment. I, I will trick myself, especially before bigger games, before every live open. And I, I will say, I, I will pretend for like two seconds that I don't remember the teams that are playing. And so I'll look to my hands and be like, who's playing again? You know, and we'll, we'll kind of have a good laugh. And then I'll think in my head, oh, my God, what if you forget the names of the teams or the players or, you know, what happens? And I don't know what it is, guys, but like that is the trigger for me to take my game and my on camera, on air presence to a different it's like it it takes it to a different level and i get engaged at a higher level so it's almost like i'm sandbagging myself like when lou holtz was a head coach he used to sandbag and say oh we're not very good we can't do this i'm not telling myself i can't do it i'm not very good but i just kind of trick myself into kind of automatically thinking about the worst thing that could happen and then it it triggers me to be where i need to be that's my trick i don't expect that to work for most people so i would ask both of you what would be the one thing that puts you in that laser-like focus for those moments? Because, look, I, I feel that energy. We got the toss last year from game day in Tuscaloosa, the day after or the, the game after Tua Tunga Bailoa went out for the season with an injury, and, and we're going to document that in a live two-minute open. And, and, and there's all these working parts to our open. Lee Corso a lot of times talks a little longer, so we – we are, are, are open maybe longer or shorter, and we got we got to do all that. And by the way, I'm operating on a three-second delay with our producers back in Bristol. So there's that, those moving parts, too. When all that's happening, man, I, I, I have to be as good as I've ever been every single time because if I muck that up, that's a big deal. That's, that's, that's a big deal, and that, that, that has the potential to go viral. So I, I just figured out uh, several years ago that I'm at my best – when there's that just little bit of doubt out there and somebody's doubted me or somebody says I shouldn't be there, it triggers me 
in the way that I need to be functioning. It's different. It's not for everybody. So I would just tell you guys, find out what puts you in that place for those moments. I mean, I, I, I have a lot of caffeine on game day, certainly before, especially we have a, a noon kick on an E1 or E2 and for college football. I, I'm geared up. I'm ramping up that day. I'm exercising for an hour that day to get those endorphins rushing. And then right beforehand, I'm thinking, okay, all right, what's the worst thing that can happen? All right, boom, that triggers me to where I need to be. So for everybody, it's something different. And for most people, most logical, sane people, I would tell you that, you know, you, you think about the opposite thing, you know. Um, but for me, that's what does it. So that that's just my little trick. Figuring out those tricks for yourselves is, is a pretty big key to kind of put you in that window. And, uh, you know, some weeks it may be something different, but I, I just use it to try to, to trick myself into being – all right, buddy, let, let's go. You're on it. You know it. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter how our open changes and the opens always change in live event broadcasting. You're still going to nail it. And, and for the most part, you know, I, I think I do. I think we do a pretty good job with it. That's a great answer. That's something we're going to come back to a lot. <laughs> yeah, as we get ready for our next broadcast, that is awesome. Uh, kind of along with that, uh, we Kyle touched on the social media feedback you get sometimes, but you do a really nice job of using your Twitter accounts and really inviting fans to the broadcast and kind of taking them places they can't normally get to. Just how do you kind of view your social media and how it can help enhance the broadcast? Yeah, you know, I, that's always a work in progress. I mean, honestly, Roger, I was probably more engaged on Twitter uh, two or three years ago. I mean, I, I do a lot of, this is our broadcast location. This is what channel we're coming on. And I kind of show you our vantage point from, you know, uh, Provo, Utah, or Boise State, or Tuscaloosa. I'll do that just to show you behind the scenes. Um, but, you know, Twitter and some social media has gotten so toxic that, you know, sometimes uh, it, it's almost better not to do that as much. So I, I think it's a fine line. And I think during an election year, it's an even finer line. So, um, you know, I, I'll be active on it this fall, but it shows people that, you know, I'm pretty passionate about what I do, uh, that I love what I do and that I'm excited about whatever game it is we're calling. So I, I think it builds on kind of my branding that way. Um, I, I don't know if Twitter is the long-term answer of where, you know, the majority of those kinds of things are going to operate for me. I think there could be a lot of value in, in an app like TikTok, which, you know, a lot of the, the youngsters these days are really involved in. I have two daughters and they love it. And, um, you know, I'm going to set up my TikTok account and, and maybe move some stuff over there to see to see what kind of trouble we can get into over there. So I, I think the key with social media, it's always evolving. And as as slick or as cool as I think or as clever as I can be sometimes on social media, uh, for the most part, I, I, I'm still behind, you know, the kids coming up that are you know, 15, 20, 25 years old that, that are been on TikTok and are putting music behind what they do and, and make these kind of engaging videos. So, um, yeah, it's important. I do think it's as important as ever, but I think it, it's evolving. And, and so, like, I'm literally thinking right now, today and, and the next week or so, all right, what, what do you want to do this year on social media and, and how can you do things differently uh, than the average the average Joe out there that, that's calling games. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a big deal. And I don't have all the answers, but it's a process, I think, that's evolving. And I, I try to stay up with what's happening uh, so that, you know, I, I don't look like a total idiot in some of those things. 
Well, we're now to our favorite part of the show, talking about prep. It's time to take a look at your spotting boards and see uh, what's important to you. So if you don't mind, just kind of hold it up to the camera a little bit and just kind of explain the method to your madness on your spotting board. All right, I'll start with basketball because I do my own boards for basketball. And uh, I don't know if you can see these here. I do them on Microsoft Word. And it, it comes on an 11, or let's see what size, 11. This is legal size, a legal size vanilla, uh, vanilla folder and a legal size, uh, you know, just regular printer paper. So it's, uh, what's that, 11 by 14, I think is what it is. And um, I've got both teams in hoops, one team on one side. This was number one Louisville and Eastern Kentucky last year, and then one team on the other. And then it goes by number and uh, player name, which I have really big, height, weight, points per game, rebounds per game. And then out here, it's kind of my area where I'll have four bullet points with every single player for the most part. I mean, and especially the starter, sometimes I'll have a little bit more. And those are nuggets that I'll get to if that guy, you know, kind of goes off. He's at the free throw line. I got a chance to maybe work something in. If it's something the coach told me maybe uh, during shoot around, you know, I've got some stuff there. And then underneath, I've got just some basics on stories. So underneath my roster, just some basic storylines I can get to. Some of it's handwritten in there after shoot-arounds. A lot of it is typed up. And uh, it's it's nice and tidy. I like to have my workspace clean. I, I can't have post-it notes all over the place. I can't have, you know, this storyboard here and the roster here, my board there. I don't function that way. I have to have one nice and tidy little thing that I made so I know where everything is. And then uh, – and just go from there. You don't have the coach, the record for the teams, and all that stuff. Um, I, I'd say it's probably, in terms of intel, it's probably standard for most play-by-play guys. There's some guys that do more than this. Uh, there's some guys that do a lot less. So it's whatever works for you. But for basketball, I make every single one of these boards, bring them to shoot around. Uh, they're ready to go, and they're good to go. Now, th- those are easy, uh, especially if you have a, a package in the same conference like I've done the SEC the last couple of years. And I can just kind of you know, repurpose those with updated intel before every game. Uh, football is an entirely different animal. Um, this is what is this? This is UAB Tennessee last year as the Vols kind of uh, got their their deal going. Um, I think what they reel off seven or eight wins, six or seven wins in a row to close down the season. And, and this is much more, much more detailed. This board is made for me by a service. Um, they, they do a pretty good job with it. They send me, you know, just the players. I have it mapped out by position. Here's all my running backs. Here's my quarterbacks, the offensive line up top, receivers all on one side. I've got a schedule and those things. But the thing is here is in football, there's many more handwritten notes. And so this is all from our coaches' meetings. And they're basically just triggers for any kind of, of intelligence or stories that we can put on a broadcast. I, I would say, you know, at ESPN, there's more of a priority on storytelling. And, uh, it, you know, you, you document the game first and foremost. Don't misconstrue that. But if I'm sitting there telling you that Jarek Garantano last year completed, you know, 54% of his passes in the red zone and I'm spitting out stat after stat, I, I'm going to be putting people to sleep. I think play-by-play has gotten away from the basics of that in the last 10 years or so, uh, much more than, let's say, the previous 50 years. And what I mean by that is there's more of a priority with a lot of of companies and networks on storytelling. 
And uh, Roger, I know you and I have talked about this a good bit. Storytelling, uh, being entertaining, um, while also documenting the game in a proper way is a pretty big deal uh, because there, you know, a lot of people can just get out there and say, well, it's a five-yard game, third and four coming up. Tennessee's 40% on third down this year. They're you know, 94th in the country in third down conversion. Yeah, most of the fans that care about that probably already know that. So what can I tell them that they don't know? How can we present this in a way that is not boring but is not over the top? And it's not that you want to become bigger than the game. You never want to do that. But it's, but it's certainly a, a different vibe and a different spiel, I think, than even a decade ago. And, and you can say, well, why is that? Well, the answer is because people have so many other things to do. A lot of people are watching the game and looking at their phone and scrolling through social media. A lot of people are watching the game from a bar. Maybe the sound's on, maybe it's not. A lot of people are doing two other things, whatever they may be, uh, you know, while they're watching the game. And so uh, that that's important. You have to take that into account, I think, in broadcasting and i think you know as a society we're all learning okay well what does this mean and what do people want to hear what's too much what's not enough and uh so you know it again that's evolving and i think it's very important evolving is a key word in life and also just in, in what we do but my football boards are much more detailed uh, to get ready for a football game takes me all damn week i mean it's i love doing it i love the prep work basketball it's boom 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 it's a two-hour broadcast football can be four and a half hours uh, and you know, there, there's just so much at stake. Uh, so football, we're talking to the head coaches, both coordinators, both quarterbacks, and usually a handful of other players to try to get a feel for what's happening and, and to get some stories, to get some stories and understand what makes these guys or girls who they are and, and what story do they have to tell? What story does Jarek Garantano or Mac Jones have to tell? that we haven't heard yet, or Najee Harris, or Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, for the bigger teams, that's a more difficult find, and it requires more work. For a team like UAB a year ago that resurrected itself like a phoenix from the ashes just two seasons ago, I mean, there was a ton for us to get into in that game because, I mean, Bill Clark is a badass, and most of the country doesn't know about him. So, um, you know, that, that's a little easier to tell that story because not, a lot of, not as many people know, but for the bigger programs, but you got to work. And it's not just reading the game notes and saying, well, you know, they've won four games in a row and they've never lost on this date in history. Well, a lot of people are to reading the game notes themselves. You've got to come up with something a, a, a bit more uh, compelling than that. So the football boards are based on a lot of that and handwriting stuff out, committing it to memory and just getting ready uh, to be able to tell those stories quickly, concisely and entertaining manner um, whenever you're given that ability or given that opportunity. So for you, has that always been the key for good storytelling? Is because first, and what I've done sometimes is I'll literally write out what I want to say. I'm necessarily mm-hmm. going to read it on the air, but just so I have it in my head of how I want to start it, the middle of the story, and how I want to end it. Um, for you, has it always been those bullet points where you can just see a word and all of a sudden the story comes to you and you're able to tell it in a concise manner, or has is it evolved over the years for you? Boy, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I remember listening to uh, the play-by-play guy, uh, Brian Anderson, with TNT, right? I believe that's who he's with and CBS. And I remember listening to him a year or two ago, and he was like, he goes, I got so much better when I started to trust myself and to not read things and know that I could tell a story without doing that. And I remember listening, I was like, yep, yep, I, I've kind of been on both sides of that. I know exactly what he's talking about. 
Um, I, I, I do kind of have this this little method. I, I do like last year we called the Georgia Arkansas State game, and uh, and uh, Coach Blake Anderson's wife had passed away uh, about thirty days before kickoff for that game. She'd been battling cancer, and it was a pink out. The Georgia fans were going crazy, and we kind of figured out over the course of the week that Georgia was going to honor the visiting head coach's late wife. And we kind of realized that like that was the biggest story going into what was going to be an expected blowout. And so as we kind of cultivated our live open, which was about two minutes that week, we realized that that's probably going to be what we, you know, what we talk about and in our open, it's probably not going to be a lot of football. And it was at that point, in that moment for a live open where we really weren't on camera um, in dealing with death, I, I scripted it out. That's the only time I will write out a story that I'm going to tell on air. But in, in that situation where I could do it and um, I felt comfortable doing it because it was a really heavy subject. And I mean, his wife had just passed and he was on the phone with us the previous night, very upset. And I mean, we were doing our best to try to, to just be like, hey, coach, we're going to handle this in uh, a first class manner in a way that would make you and your family proud. And, uh, you know, we, we were part in that moment of his grieving process. And I said, you know, I, I'm going to script this because this story is too important to mess up with, with any wrong adverb or anything. And it, it went off perfectly. And so for death. And something serious like that, I mean, mainly death, I, I, I'm going to script out some of what I'm going to say. And it, I didn't script out the whole open, but like as we came on air and we showed what was going on, yeah, the part of it was scripted. And I'm okay with that. I don't mind admitting that to you or to whoever else, because maybe that'll help somebody dealing with a similar situation in the future. Outside of that, really outside of someone dying, and not to make light of that at all, um, I, I may have a sentence on my board that kind of sends me in a direction but for the most part i'm going to have it mapped out what i'm going to say prior to and it's not going to be scripted and, and like what brian anderson said um, there just comes a point where you turn the page and that becomes something that you're okay with uh, that you you feel comfortable in doing and and that confidence comes across on the air um, I, I don't think it happens for most people quickly or easily it comes from being in the moment and doing it in the moment and uh and getting more reps uh in the moment of doing it so um you know that that's kind of how i do it I, I i don't ever really write out stories or there's not even really uh, you know keywords i'll write down i may have just let me see on here like uh you know talking with bill clark last year um yeah i, I wrote this in our conversation with him play for more than yourself and, and so that just those five words takes me back to when UAB thought that they weren't going to have football. And yet here's this coach who during that time didn't know if his program was going to come back. Yet he toured around the Southeast and visited schools like Clemson or Alabama and, and was a fundraiser and talked to people and brought this program back from the ashes. Just those five words take me all the way back to that date last year. I haven't thought about UAB Tennessee since late October of last year, early November, but just those words take me back there right now. So that's kind of like my trigger to do it. I, I've got, you know, and there's, and there's probably, I have them separated by lines here, on here. I just told you, uh, let's see, was it play for more than yourself? And then you see I have these little lines that separates all of these potential topics. 
that, uh, that that maybe I can get to at some point. Uh, you know, if the game gets out of way, new stadium coming. NCAA gave them a frozen clock, which meant everybody preserved the, uh, their eligibility, and that sent me back to the recruiting process and how much it helped them. Um, you know, just things like that. It, it, and the, the bottom one is my favorite: Rocky Top. The goal is not to hear it. That's a funny line. Of course, they heard it all damn night long because Tennessee was playing really good at the end of the year. Um, <clears throat> but things like that will, will, will put me into storytelling mode. The other thing I would say with it is this. When you start telling a story, I, I think it's important to be, I don't want to say as quick as possible, but we, our attention spans in 2020 aren't what they were in 2010 and aren't what they were in 1995 or 1990. I mean, we're all having problems just doing an hour-long thing like this. That, just fully engaged, fully focused. I'm listening to everything you say word to word. You're listening to everything I'm saying word for word. It's not easy to do. We're distracted. There's stuff going on, you know, everywhere. So you have, I mean, honestly, you have less than 30 seconds to get out a full story. And really, it's probably like less than that. I mean, it, it may be 15 to 20 seconds. You, you, you put it out there. Maybe your analyst says something, and then, all right, third down and long coming up. So, you know, to me, somebody goes on and on and on. Yeah, there can be a reoccurring theme that, that comes through a game, and I love those, and I like doing them. I like listening to them. But, you know, if you're telling a story and, you know, two teams have shared possessions and uh, it's only you talking for 60 seconds, it's probably not what we want. So, I, you know. I, I think the average human attention span is, is less than 30 seconds in those situations. If you want it to tell the story, want it to be a good story, let's see if you can get it in under that. And, and you know what? Probably probably less than 20 seconds, honestly, to really to, you know, to really get the most bang for your buck. Final one for me. What's that ongoing dialogue like with your producer in-game as to where we're going to go next. Say we're going to tell a heavy story, knowing what part of the game to tell that. Who's deciding that? Are you driving that? Is the producer driving that most of the time? How does that back and forth go? Both of us are driving that. And even our analysts can come in, especially with, with tact, you know, t uh, tactical plays and analyzing things. Sometimes he can do that as well. We, we had a moment last year which was uh, awesome. And it was none of it made air. But it was uh, we, we had Alabama Southern Miss <clears throat> and Tua was still in the game. I want to say early third quarter and Alabama was driving. And so I want to say it was it was first down. They just gotten in the red zone and, and Tua had already thrown four touchdown passes. And we were so on point that week in our meetings leading up to the game and so dialed in during the game itself. In that particular situation, I hit the talk back button to talk to my producer back in Bristol, Rob Adamski, who is sensational. I hit talk back and I said, Rob, if he throws a touchdown pass here, this is a new career high for him. While I was saying that, my analyst, Kelly Stopper, was saying the same thing on air. Unbeknownst, that's what I was telling my producer. And in the meantime, back in Bristol, the graphics, uh, the, the head graphics person was already building the graphic and was telling my producer, hey, the graphic's ready because Tua's getting ready to set a new career high with touchdown passes. And as I hit talk back to tell Rob that, he was telling me the same thing. So in one <laughs> sequence, all of us, separated by a 1,000 miles, were thinking the same thing. I, I, I just, we, we all laughed, and it was all just a great moment because we loved working together, 
and we were all working in perfect unison and harmony. Doesn't happen like that every time. But to answer your question, um, it, it, it really is the play-by-play and the producer driving a lot of the storytelling and, and those kinds of things. And the analyst does it as well. My, the, my analyst, uh, Kelly Stoffer, does a great job, and, and, and he'll bounce in on the, the humanization stories. He's like, hey, have we gotten to this yet during a break? And he's talking to me and my producer at the same time. I'm like, no. And like, all right, let's come back with that. So it is a collaborative effort. And with some crews, it may fall more more on my shoulders. Other crews, it may fall more on the producer's shoulders. In the perfect world, we're all kind of doing it. And, and we almost can predict what's happening or what's getting ready to happen uh, and, and who's getting ready to say what. And, and that Tua story is one uh, I've shared with a number of people uh, at our company just saying, you know, th- this is how it should be. When you've done your homework, you're all operating on the same page. There's no ego, and, and people truly get the, the 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 good that comes from a common goal, and everybody's on the same page. That's what happens, and so that whole game was like that. And that that's what I strive for, and I think that's what a lot of our crew strives for. And it's always it's it's pretty special when you get it. Well, this has been a really special hour visiting with you, Roy, and hearing all about your journey. And as uh, we kind of let you go here, uh, you know, Kyle and I are doing some similar things to what you're doing at Clemson, you know, calling women's basketball, some baseball, getting some TV digital reps uh, here and there. Just what would be kind of your advice to us out the door? And I'm sure to a lot of people uh, that are watching this that are hoping to make similar uh, jumps that you've been able to make in your career. Yeah, no job is too small. Um, You you may still be working and not making uh, hardly anything for reps. Uh, really, the value is in the reps. Um, you know, you, you always have to be willing to take criticism. Um, you know, so you know, be open to that. Be low maintenance to everybody that you work with, and and that goes to you know the stage manager or, or the person that comes in and cleans up after you. Um, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in not leaving workspaces cluttered with trash and paper and <clears throat> leftover Diet Mountain Dew cans or what have you. Um, you know, be respectful to people and, and, and be low maintenance. I mean, I think all those things um, come into play. And then, you know, your appearance matters if you're trying to be on television. People don't like to say that or talk about it. I'm sorry, but it does. So, you know, what's your look? What do you, what kind of look are you trying to cultivate? Um, your sound matters. Uh, are, are you trying too much to sound like Sean McDonough? Are you trying too much, too much to sound like, um, you know, uh, Chris Fowler or whoever, uh, Keith Jackson? Be you. You can't be somebody else. And that uniqueness, hopefully, is what sets you apart from everybody else. And and that would be the last thing is, you know, in being yourself, you know, be unique. You don't need to pattern yourself after me or anybody else because that, that's not going to get you where you want to go. Being you is what uh, the bosses want to see and, you know, being the best version of you, obviously. But, uh, you know, so all those things matter, the uniqueness, low maintenance, um, you know, getting as many reps as possible. Uh, not sucking and and then you know for the younger people out there and maybe you just graduate um, the first order of business probably isn't to send your demo reel you know to ESPN or to Fox or to CBS you know I remember listening to one of my bosses say one day when when you send us your reel make sure you're you're ready for the worldwide leader (laughs) I was like yeah because really you you got one chance these guys get all these demos all the time every single day there's only so much that they can look at realistically. You got like 10 or 15 seconds to make an impression. Don't suck in those 10 or 15 seconds. But also know when you're ready. You know, if you're 17, you're just starting, uh, you know, college or you just graduated college, even. You know, get some more reps. 
that's okay, man. There's not a lot of people that go straight from there to the big time. It, it takes time and it takes years and it takes work cultivating relationships. So, um, you know, be patient. Nobody likes to hear that. I have to remind myself of that all the time. And, uh, you know, get, get your work done, get your reps done and, and take all those other things into account. And, and look, good things will happen, man. I, I see it every day. I hear from people all the time and it happens. It can happen for you too. Well, thank you for that. And Roy, thank you for the past hour you've given us a really detailing your career and your strategies for play-by-play. You do it extremely well, and we look forward to hearing you from whether it's in the spot you're in right now from Greenville or at some of these great stadiums, Bristol, Charlotte, wherever. We look forward to your first broadcast. But thank you again for joining us. I just want to work. Let's all work. Let's get some games. <laughs> Let's get some reps. And by God, I'm ready for college football. Let's get it on. Amen. Thanks, Roy. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks to Roy Philpott. And thank you for watching this week's episode of Broadcaster Hour.